Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. And special thank you to our lovely patrons that help donate so that we can pay the editor to remove the swear words and silly things we say. Massive thank you to... Carlos Campos. Art Faulkner. Sam Dharma. Mikey Dread. On with the show. Let's Drone Out. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Let's Drone Out. Tonight you're joined by our wonderful puppet master, Andrew Sash Frank. Good evening. Everyone's favourite, Curry Kitten. Hello. Uh, a very interesting and wonderful shirt, Stephen. Hello. And Chris from the BMFA, the Drone Support Officer. It's a slightly official title, isn't it? It's fun. <laughs> What does a drone support officer do? Sounds like you yes. should have some kind of uniform. Sounds like well, I see that a really big, heavy drone and hold it up like that. <laughs> like, um, like one of the two behind you, maybe. Uh, well, this is uh, Bertha on that side and Arthur on this side. The two heavy lift drones that I fly for work. Oh. Um, yeah, I suppose drone support officer. I'm here to support the BMFA membership and the the new BDF membership with their drone inquiries. You know, how people understand where they can and can't fly and you know all the sort of stuff that comes up on a regular basis uh usually technical questions relating to the open categories and what classification mm. am i in what do i do with article 16 and stuff like that so andy's got bored of answering these questions and found someone else to forward them all onto, right uh yeah yeah <laughs> i mean andy simmons is still the club support officer for the bmfa so he still deals with an awful lot of those questions uh, it's just when it comes in and it's more drone related now, it comes to me. So that's that's my speciality. So we're just as that the drone side of things is growing, we're just sort of splitting it and making it more accessible. So there's more support for different people. Cool. Because you've you've, I mean, this isn't your. You, you were saying that you've only been here like a few months, but you've been doing a lot for BMFA drone wise beforehand, haven't you? Yeah. So. Uh, my background is I run altitude aerial photography as a company, so I fly these and do TV filming and stuff like that. Uh, but about uh, 12 years ago is when I started flying my first drones, back when we all used to take the Nintendo nunchucks apart to get the accelerometers out and build our own control boards and all that kind of stuff. Um, or if you were really posh, you had somebody had smashed their iPhone free and you got the accelerometers from that. Um, so... About eight, nine years ago, I then got in, in, invited in to join the special interest group when we were discussing FPV uh, and getting the exemption improved so that we could get rid of the requirement for the buddy box and go to observers and spotters and stuff like that. Uh, and then a couple of years after that, I got invited on to the achievement scheme to write a multi-rotor test because we had a fixed wing test, helicopter tests, glider tests. Um, so it's probably about eight years ago, I wrote the A and the B certificate for multi-rotors. And then a year after that, I got invited onto the committee full-time, uh, and I'm now chairman of the committee as you come forward. So that's me as a, a volunteer with the BMFA. Uh, and then obviously when the BMFA were looking for an employee to work with drones, it's kind of, I'm there already, I do it for a living, I do it for a hobby, my 
all-encompassing passion. Um, but then I still make quite a, a good crossover because I still fly helicopters, I still fly model airplanes, gliders. You know, it's all radio control cars, boats. There's a radio control car sitting up on top of the shelf up there. And this, uh, before we went live, you were showing us your FPV quads that you were trying to fit through some benches yeah, at Buckminster. My little three and a half inch uh, Titan H3 there. Uh, it just needs a couple of screws putting back in and some new propellers. Um, it turns out that the gates that I fly through, um, well, you're supposed to fly through the hole, aren't you? Not through the gate itself. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's open to interpretation. It really depends what you can get away with. The, the, the battery has definitely seen some better days. I think we need to uh, find some salty water to dispose of that. <laughs> and you, so you had a, a BDF event at Buckminster recently, right? Uh, yes. Um, so we, we've kind of started bringing the BDF events in with all the ASRC events because the ASRC events achievement scheme, it's for training and teaching. So it's a natural thing to invite the drone guys into that as well. Uh, by guys, obviously ladies as well, just general term, uh, in drone folk. So we can teach people to fly the drones. But then on the 11th, we had our first camera drone dedicated event. So for people with things like Mavics and Phantoms, uh, the opportunity was to come down, learn how to do a risk assessment and some basic sort of uh, safety training, a site planning experience for about an hour and a half. Then we actually went out into the uh, runway and did some fly, flight training. Uh, and then towards the end of the afternoon, we kind of looked at a little bit of Photoshop, you know, how to edit those pictures together afterwards. Good I, to I saw you posted on Facebook as well that you were introducing some people to FPV during the, the course of the event. Yeah, Andy and I had this great game that Andy came up with, uh, person tipping. So one of us flies aerobatic FPV and the other person puts goggles on people and we just see if we can get people to fall over. You know, <laughs> I think the idea is if we can get right. 10 people in 10 goggles, we can just do it like bowling and see if we can get them. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you have a, did you have a, like a, a total a tally up on the, on the wall? No, no, uh, we've not managed to topple anyone over. We're not harsh, but uh, we have had a few people raise their toes and have a good wobble, but we're always there to catch them. <laughs> but, you know, the idea is to give them that experience and see if they're interested in, in shifting over. So you Get them to uh, do a power loop and see if they just carry on leaning back. Yeah, well, I, I love to go shooting straight up and then just do like eight very rapid rolls. And people are either freaked out by the rapid roll or quite often it's a slow roll. So if the if the fast roll doesn't get them, you go up and you do a nice sort of three or four second really slow roll, and that's that's normally the one that gets them. <laughs> that's evil, but very funny. Yeah. So you, uh, you come from a heli background, right? And then you're looking at how to do A and B certs for quads. How did you how do you make that different for quads? What the, what do you uh, for the quadcopters? It's basically, I mean, when you think about uh, how a helicopter and a multi rotor fly in terms of manual flight. So if we ignore self-stabilizing GPS holding things like the Mavics mm. and so on, just, you know, your racing quads. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of similarities in how they fly in terms of the pitch, the, uh, the roll, you know, that kind of throttle control and how you get one to hover. Uh, the transition, the differences is, for example, uh, I mean, I've got 3D quads now that will, you can reverse the pitch to hold against the wind. Right, yeah. You can take a helicopter where you do a stall turn maneuver. Part of that exercise is to put negative pitch on and compensate for the wind which with most quadcopters isn't actually possible. So uh, took those two exercises out and put in a loop-the-loop -loop instead. So it's ah. kind of just modifying it and making it relevant. Um, we had a lot of people saying, you can't loop a quad. Quads don't loop. It's, they will. It's just a different yeah. technique. <laughs> you know, the, the actual style and the method of doing it is different to an aeroplane. 
Yeah. So, so you've been been doing a lot with, uh, you know, you're you're an employee of the BMFA. So, yeah. how's the how does the BDF separate, or like, how is it different from the BMFA, or what's the connection? Okay. So the first thing is it's it's kind of not really separate. So a BDF membership is a form of BMFA membership. So when you join the British Drone Flyers, you're getting the same core package that the BMFA members get. So you get the same insurance, uh, which is class leading, 25 million public liability, uh, comes with 35,000 personal injury as well. So if you do decide to slice a finger off in a multi-rotor propeller, not that we recommend doing that, uh, there is money available on claims. So the key thing is there is that the core package is essentially the same. You're still a BMFA member. What we've tried to do is create a membership type that is more suitable for drone operators. So when you look at most people who probably fly model helicopters and planes, they're joining the club. The club runs January to December, so they run January to December, and it's kind of like that kind of atmosphere. A lot of drone flyers, uh, especially the camera guys, they're probably unique in terms of that they fly on their own. Probably that's the drone goes on holiday with them for selfies. They go out and they you know video a monument when they're out doing a walk, that kind of thing. So the standard membership pattern doesn't sort of sit with their style of, of use. So the two key differences between a BMFA membership and a British Drone Flyer membership, um, the first one is it's a rolling 12-month membership from the day you join. So whereas mm-hmm. BMFA is January to December, the BDF is from the day you join. So if you join now, you'll have membership up until mid-September next year. Um, the other key difference is that most of the camera drone guys, they're probably not interested in balsa stick models, helicopters, gliders, and all the other stuff that goes in the BMFA news. So we've just basically created a digital online-only BDF news, uh, which will come out with stuff that's more relevant. So all the latest on drone legislation, laws, regulations, as well as stuff about camera techniques, you know, how to learn to fly a quad, uh, quadcopter manually, the stuff that's probably a lot more relevant to them than is you know, someone making stuff out of bolster and tissue paper. So all the people that complain about getting a load of tree through a letterbox uh, uh, yeah. with with a load of uh, RC stuff in it, they, they can yeah. they can opt out of that and just have an online version that's that's a bit more based around. I get. I mean, I guess is it mainly sort of aerial photography and uh, videography? It, uh, uh, the BDF news. No, it's, it's drones in general. So we have had uh, the BDRA give us some racing articles as well. Um, it's not just for camera drones. So again, a lot of the, you know, the people that might be FPV racing might just be doing it themselves on the woods, you know, rather than actually joining a club per se. Um, so one of the things in terms of my future goal is to try and encourage some more drone clubs to start forming up. Um, mm. There's a couple of aspects to that. One is that it creates that nice environment where, you know, somebody that wants to get into this hobby can go and learn safely rather than doing it potentially dangerously in their back garden or somewhere else. Um, but also it just kind of builds that camaraderie in the in the hobby. You know, I think when you go to places, uh, for example, Western Park the other week, the BDRA racing, if somebody crashes a quadcopter at one of those events, nobody sits there laughing at them going, well, fix it yourself. They'll all rally around, find some soldering irons, find some solders, some screws, some spare props for them and, and see what they can do to get them back in the racing, even if they're a competitor. So it's a nice mm-hmm. atmosphere, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So would, would the club membership work the same then for a, a BDF member versus a BMFA member? Yeah, or? so if you're a British Drone Flyer member, you know that. So the BMFA affiliated clubs, you have to have BMFA insurance. The BDF insurance, the BDF membership, it's the same insurance. So you've got the same uh, access to a club in theory. The only thing, the only caveat I would say there is we can't necessarily control the clubs. 
So mm. what a club does in terms of its own individual rules, there are clubs out there that are fixed wing only. There are some, uh, for example, Farnham Heli Club is helis only, but they take drones and there are some drone only clubs. So what the, the club sets as their own rules is down to what they've set the club up for, I guess, and their own individual membership. But in terms mm-hmm. of what we offer, the support, the package, it's the same. So there is no, there's no disadvantage, I think, is the key thing to being a British Drone Flyer member. Um, and there's no disadvantage to being a BMFA member. It, it depends what sort of information you want to get from us, uh, whether yeah. that's the British Model Flying Association news or the British Drone Flying news, really. So hopefully that also clears up uh, Richard Warwick in the chat's question. Uh, will BEF insurance cover RC planes as well as drones? Yeah, absolutely. It's the same insurance. So uh, we've, we've often come across, there's quite a few myths, and one of the articles I'm writing at the moment is a bit of a myth-busting exercise. And uh, one is, you know, that clubs don't like drones and drones aren't insured by the BMFA. Uh, absolutely they are, and vice versa. Aeroplanes and helicopters are all part of the BDF insurance. You know, it's, it's all the same. Speaking of kind of more responsible approach to flying, I noticed one of the headings over at uh, British Drone Flyers is the A2 CFC, something that we've, yeah. we've touched on in the past. And a lot of our listeners, I think, are flying recreationally. And they view this as a way of, you know, putting a bit more safety around their recreational flying. Maybe they don't want to go for a full professional qualification, but this would um, give them some more legitimacy. Um, yeah. Could you explain what the A2 CFC uh, can do for people and, and what it entails? Okay. Um, so I think the first one is it's another one of the myths that I come across quite regularly, that the A2 is only required for commercial operations. It, it's not. The A2 is required to operate in the A2 open category. So when you look at the, a, the open categories, you've got A1, A2, A3. When you go above the open category, you go into the specific category, which is where you fly stuff like this in London, for example. Uh, and then you go to certified, which is manned aviation risk, so flying taxis, for example. Uh, and then you have, obviously, Article 16, uh, which is another key benefit of being a British drone flyer membership. You can still use the Article 16 from the BMFA because you're part of the BMFA. But in terms of the A2, when you think about what you can fly, so the Mavic Mini and the Mini 2, the 250 gram and below aircraft, that kind of goes straight into the A1 category. Mm-hmm. When you go above 250 grams, what a lot of people don't realize is that all the aircraft then default into the A3 open category because of the weight, right. where you can go up to 25 kilos. Right. So what you end up with there is you've got to be 150 meters away from this. You've got various different restrictions. On so so anyone who's flying a freestyle quad at maybe 600 grams is getting lumped in with someone who's flying a massive camera drone of five yeah, or 10 exactly kilos. Exactly that. You're in the same category as someone flying 25 kilos. So if you're a BDF or a BMFA member, straight away you've got access to Article 16, which takes a lot of those A3 regulations and actually brings a lot of the distances down um, allows you to do things like flying your local park as long as you've done a suitable risk assessment. And a lot of a lot of safe elements then open up. What the A2 does is it allows you to fly uh, in the A2 category, and that's what the A2 CFC or the A2 Certificate of Competency allows. So with the A1, A2, A3, there's no longer a distinction between hobby flying and commercial flying. It used to be you had to have the permit for commercial operation. That's all gone. Let's so just break down those categories. You say A1, A2, A3. You touched on A3 as being like the, the huge drones and yeah. A1 characterized as being Mavics and smaller stuff. What what does A2 mean in that case? So the A2 is up to four kilos for what we class as C2 class drones. And the C2 class drones don't exist yet. Um, right. But when they start coming out, there will be aircraft coming out that have 
uh, three meters per second as a minimum, you know, like a sort of slow speed setting um, and some other features. And that's what they'll need to get the C2 classification. So without those available, what you would then have is a legacy section and the legacy aircraft is anything that's placed on the market before the end of next year. So that's basically everything that's for sale now and everything that we've built ourselves. So and our DIY grants, right. Yeah, okay. own racing So cards. the open part is that relating to the DIY aspect because it's not o- certified? What the open means is it's open to all. So it's, it's a right. category that's not regulated. When you go into the specific category, um, I'll skim on this very quickly because it's probably hmm. not the sort of thing, but <laughs> the specific category is what has replaced the PFCO scheme, which replaced the permit for aerial work became the permit for commercial operation. Some 1st of January, it's become something called an operational authorization. The operational authorization is a predetermined risk assessment, PDRA 01, uh, and that's where you apply very similar to the old PSEO scheme. So you do a GVC, General Visual Line of uh, Site Certificate Qualification, through one of the recognized entities. You get a recognized certificate qualification. They cost anything from 500 to 2,000 pounds, depending on which training school you go through. You then apply for an operational authorization from the CAA where you supply them an operations manual and all the other governs. That okay. costs about £250 per This year. is all very serious yeah. professional drone uh, operator stuff then, this category. What that allows you to do is take stuff like this and do overflight in built-up areas and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's when you look at the old system, the old system was very simple. It was you were a hobby flyer and you flew 0 to 20 kilos in category A and you followed those regulations. And if you were working commercially, you got a permit for commercial operation and you went into category B and you followed those regulations. And if you wanted right. to do something really weird, um, such as, for example, the one we did like a couple of years ago, which was building a life-size Chitty Chitty Bang Bang flying replica <laughs> yeah. that goes into uh, the certified category where you write operational safety cases and you have to do something quite unique through the CAA. You've got to sit down and write a lot of risk assessments. Then. And, yeah, and exactly talk that. a lot with the CAA, right? That's that's yeah. the yeah. main thing. And I think Fine the CAA the kind of got bored of that and, and decided they should, they should formalize things and let people do things a bit more with less actual okay. one-on-one conversations. So it's this yeah. kind of a side effect of the proliferation of, of more lightweight semi-professional camera drones then they've brought this qualification into effect yeah i think the the changes i mean that's you know i love myth busting tonight you're gonna know you're gonna see a thing <laughs> coming up um but one of the other myths that comes up a lot and i came across this a lot uh when we were running the bdf stand supporting the bdra at western mm. recently, was the number of people who go oh bloody drones they changed all these rules because of the drones you know the, the current drone regulations and the changes they're not because of drones there is an element of drones that have gone into that, but manned aviation has evolved. And just when you look at normal model aircraft, you know, when you used to buy a model airplane, you'd go to a model flying club because you'd crash it in 30 seconds if you tried to do it yourself. Whereas now you can go and buy something that's got safe technology, self-stabilizing on it. Uh, things like the Parrot Disco flying wing, for example, you throw it in the air and it goes around in a circle above your head until you tell it to land. So it's not just drones, it's technology as a whole. Well, also when it's, not it's just made multi rotors, we should say yeah. it might when be drones in the formal classification of autonomous vehicles, but it's yeah. not multi rotors. It's yeah. not that, yeah. A lot well, of people there's, say there's even even stuff that isn't doesn't have a, like a flight controller on it. If it's made of foam, you can have a few more goes before it disintegrates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly that. And Nothing the other thing stuff. is, there's there's YouTube and the internet and forums and things where people can help you without having to go to a club. 
and you can learn a lot more without you know having to go to a club to actually find out how anything works yeah social media certainly opened a lot of doors as well i mean the whole world does sound like it 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 does seem i'm not utterly convinced that it's not all down to drones though because um (laughs) it seems to be signing on curry (laughs) well devil's advocate I don't think I. You know, people have. There's been some people being idiotic, but the, the news report going on about you know various bits and the drones done this and drones putting drugs in jail and oh Gatwick's it was full of drones. Honest, it was. Yeah. It it just seems to have demonised such to such an extent that the public are like, what are you doing about it? And the government's like, well, you're introducing all these rules. You never hear like somebody flying a little playing yeah. in the park and convenient I'm outraged this must be banned it's always yeah. multi-rotors when you, uh, bring up Gatwick that's another good example of the part of the myth about you know drones are to blame uh, oh yeah I'm, I'm absolutely yeah, convinced yeah, there was no drones out saying there's yeah. no evidence as, as far as the as far as the greater public go there were and it's all you people yeah. flying them you're to yeah. blame for everything. There definitely and was this, a drone there because there was the probably a police drone there. There was a police drone there. People spotted. But as, as soon as that's in the public conscience, you can't yeah. you can't yeah. get that back out, can you? That's the problem. You can't the, this undo is what, all the damage. No, this is one of the things that I'm doing as the drone support officer, and it's the drum that I'll be banging all weekend at, at Duxford when we're talking to the general public. When you take things like the Gatwick incident, you know, um, whether there was or whether there wasn't the drone. Uh, I awesome. believe even the, the Veep of DGI has just said today, hasn't he, that there wasn't. Wow. Um, but irrelevant to whether there was or not. There was one right, there. There was a police blame... drone, which people kept telling the police they'd seen. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. people blame Gatwick as a reason for the rule changes. But when you actually look at what's come in, the EASA regs were actually on their way mm. two or three mm-hmm. years before yeah. Gatwick ever yeah. happened. We are we are so, well aware here because we've, yeah. we've definitely got at least two listeners who had their comments Public, you know, on public record because we were we were talking about it for ages, years yeah, yeah. on here. But yeah, so the regulations were already changing before because the uh, CAA. I mean, people thing, will, is... uh, will sort of slate the CAA and say they're the campaign against aviation, <laughs> or whatever, whatever you want to come up with. But the reality is, they are quite switched on. The, the, it's sad in some respects that maybe not enough of them that do the job understand drones or fly drones potentially but they do know what they're doing for the most part. And they're quite aware that, you know, the one idiot that goes down the park with a Mavic and does something stupidly dangerous or Gatwick doesn't represent everybody. You know, they fully understand that the British Model Flying Association has over 30 odd thousand members who for the most part are following the rules, acting sensibly, and that there are thousands of people who aren't members following the rules and acting sensibly. It, it, the comparison I always make is if you think about cars, the number of people out there on the road right now with cars that don't have insurance, tax, MOTs, driving at high speed, driving on the wrong side of the road and doing stupid stuff, you know, it doesn't stop everybody else from driving a car. So yeah. the stuff from Gatwick that has come in that was changed probably because of Gatwick is just some of the fines and the punishments that are put in for those that break the rules. The rules themselves weren't done because of Gatwick. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we're in, in danger of getting onto a rant of like, oh, but pe- even people no. that don't break rules and get caught, uh, they don't get... Yeah. Pu- anyway, moving moving back to where we were. We haven't even mentioned the Google and Emerson conspiracy yet, Frank. The, the A2 category, let's jump back onto the A2 category then. So the A2, essentially, you don't need it to operate commercially. So a lot of people assume that's what it's for. You need it to operate in the A2 category. That's what it's for. It's 
So when you are flying, it used to be that, like I said, you were a hobbyist or you were commercial mm-hmm. and it was one set of rules, either or. And the hobby rules was you had to be 150 metres from congested areas, 50 metres from people. Um, that's pretty much the A3 rules. When you look at the regulations for the A3 open category, that's pretty much what the hobby rules used to be. So what the CIA have looked at and the DFT and the ASA and all these people, and obviously Dave Phipps from the BMFA has been out there banging his drum for us as well. You've got all these, like you say, new drones and new things. So they've decided that the best way to actually do it is on risk. And they acknowledge that there's a huge difference between somebody flying a Mini 2 and somebody flying a 15-kilo, 6-foot hexacopter. So the risk level for something small that's low speed, that has a low kinetic energy, which is basically what it's all boiled down to, can go into different categories. The yeah, Mini it, 2, there is one, one point I've just thought of that we well, should probably make because it hasn't been mentioned. Because we were saying, you know, it's all based on risk and it's not based on commercial versus recreational anymore. There is still insurance. the issue of insurance. Yeah, insurance. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The issue of operator ability as well. Someone buying yeah. a DJI <laughs> drone that they just got off of Argos is probably likely to yeah. be a little unsure of how it flies. Whereas I'd expect you with a giant hex probably don't want to smash it to pieces and probably You'd a little be surprised. bit surprised. I've been a commercial examiner for a few years for, for different training schools and I've met people who turn up that to do a test for a commercial and they're hopeless. But uh, in terms of the risk level, the A2 lets you fly up to two kilos of legacy aircraft. So that's what it is. So the A2 CFC itself, if you think about the Damares test or the BMFA's uh, RCC equivalent, it allows you to sort of do a little bit of theory and knowledge. The A2 sits above that, so you'll see a little bit more mm-hmm. coming into it about thinking about you know, uh, weather, what sort of cloud formations are coming towards you, um, how to do a risk assessment, what sort of stuff needs to be done. So it's just a little bit of a higher step up. It's still an online course. So you'd sit at home, read through a load of modules, a bit like an open university thing. So you can do it in your own time, at your own pace. And at the end of it, you'll sit down and do a test on a laptop with the webcam on, you know, and you show the webcam around the room, make sure that there's no one stood on the other side or there's not a whiteboard <laughs> on the wall with all the uh, key details on it. And you, and you go through the test. When you do the test, it gets assigned to a flyer ID. So if you're currently a member of the BMFA or BDF and you've done the RCC test for remote pilot competency, you still actually have to do a flyer ID. Uh, I believe Dave Phipps is in negotiation with the CAA at the moment to actually make the RCC more recognised as a flyer ID, but there's just obviously uh, systems transitions to be made and something to something to admin. in somewhere. Lots of admin. Yeah, I think it's more of a computer integration thing, mm. but it goes... A, it's above my pay grade, mm-hmm. should we say that? Yeah, bit. yeah. It sounds like the operator ID scheme was certainly plagued with its uh, share. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. so you, you, your average person who's who's not a member of anything, there's the basically the above a above two fifty grams, you got the A three. Below two fifty grams, you got the A one. And then you, if you join the BDF, BMFA, or you know, FPV Eco, however, you've also got the Article 16 that's offered yeah. to uh, the uh, Model Flying Associations, which, depending on what you're doing, you've either got some extra permissions or you might have to do some more paperwork to get some extra permissions yeah. um, to fly things. And then with the membership of BMFA or uh, BDF, you've also got, 50% off on getting this A2 CFC course that would get you yeah. more, presumably? So uh, the UAV Academy, I mean, the A2 courses range from about £99 to £300, depending on where you go. The UAV Academy, we're already one of the more competitive ones at £99. 
uh, and they basically agreed a discount to us for £49. So Andrew Bailey, the the manager of the owner, as it were, of UAB Academy, he's a model helicopter flyer himself. He's been a member of the BMFA for many years. So he's quite respectful of what we do. And likewise, we're quite respectful of what he does. So it makes a very good partnership in that respect. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and you were talking as well a while ago that you were at Western with the BDRA. Um, yeah. We saw you up there. Um so what's what's the connection between the BDF slash BMFA and the BDRA? How's how's that all working together? Well, the, the BDRA is still their own association running their own events, uh, and we're just going to continue to support them and, and offer what we can. Um, you know, coming back to some of the myths, again, I think some people have always been that we don't support uh, drones in general and that the BMFA is more interested. It's the British Model Fixed Wing Association. Um <laughs> We are. We're interested in all of it. And that's the thing with the governing body for the sport of model flying and drone racing is another form of model flying. So as far as we're concerned, it's part of that big umbrella. Mm. So um, Andy, for example, I think was one one of the um, on one of the original committees for the BFPVRA, was it? The British FPV Mm -hmm. Racing Association, which then became the BDRA. Um, But the the BDRA reached out to us recently and asked for a little bit of funding uh, for the large LED monitor that was on display at Western. Mm-hmm. Um, but we decided to go a little bit further, give them some funding, take down a tier and then make sure that we had refreshments available for the pilots. So a little bit of a, a PR publicity for us to let them know that, you know, we do care about drones. We yeah. definitely like them and we want to make sure that we're supporting all That's the nice. disciplines. Yeah, because there, there, was, there was a bit of, you know, uh, maybe a bit of uh, bit of issues a, a few years ago. I mean, we, we covered this, you know, that the, there was a, the world, the FAI World Championships and that there wasn't a Team GB for a while. Is I'm, yeah. I've been told at Western that there is now going to be a Team GB and that's all being smoothed over. So well, we'll, it, sort, we'll right? make sure we sort something out at the end of the day because we want to make sure we're supporting things. I don't know... The difference, what that is, I don't know the history because I wasn't a member of staff at the time, so I can't comment. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of what happens uh, from the future, it's again, it's not something I'm actually aware of fully at the moment, to be honest. So again, it's if the BDRA guys come to me and say this is what we want to do, then we'll see what we can do to help. That's what we're here as BMFA to do. Um, so yeah, when it comes to that side of things, it's a little bit out of my experience level, to be honest. If Andy Simmons is around in the comments thread, maybe watch for a reply from him because he'll probably ping something up. Yeah, he is. Yeah. This episode was recorded in front of a live online audience, downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only, censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears, all thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them, and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. Since you have been working with the BMFA, are you, are you like the kind of in touch with the BDRA? And I mean, it seems like it's all going well, seeing as you yeah. kind of help them out and everything. Yeah, no, uh, we've we've I've we've got a Facebook chat group now, as it were, on Messenger. Myself, Andy, uh, Jamie from the obviously mm-hmm. the committee, and so on. Um, and one of the things we're already doing is trying to help them sort out their next racing event because they've you know trying to sort out a venue. So we've just moved the pylon racing around at uh, BMFA Buckminster so that they can host their next event up there in the beginning of October. So again, you know, it's it's the thing for Buckminster, if you look at it, poor Manny has a massive job every year of trying to uh, get probably 100 plus events into 50 weekends, you know, and it's uh, multitasking for him. I've, I've seen 
We've we've had a comment on Facebook saying the BDF are sponsoring the World X class. Yes, uh, we Ooh. we've also put some funds towards some gates and events because that's coming up in uh, mid October, which is the X class racing and also some uh, fixed ring racing. So again, mm. you know that's since I joined, I've been aware of Martin Rye from Fossil Stuff and a few of those kind of guys, and I know that they've been trying to get it kickstarted over here in the UK. And yep. I just think you know the best foot forward is not to let them do it on their own, but see what we can do to help them promote it, bring it on board uh, and sort of not take over because that's their thing. You know, we want to let them do it, but at the same time be there for them if they need any help. Yeah. Cause you've collectively as an organization had a few, well, almost a century of experience of making yeah, events years, and regulations. And... MFA next year. So yeah. Yeah. So of, of the kind of, of the, bureaucracy and things that go on to make things happen yeah um the thing with the bmfa the lot you have to remember is that there's a handful of staff there's myself dave phipps andy uh manny and a few others but the rest of the people we're all volunteers mm. so you know i i work a part-time job for the bmfa i run a full-time business and then i run a part-time position as a volunteer so all the stuff i do on the achievement scheme that's voluntary so the videos that we've made for uh the fixed wing a certificate, B certificate demos, the helicopter ones, that's all been done voluntarily. Um, the next one coming out will be the multi-rotor A and B. That's already done. We're just basically just waiting for an opportunity to get four or five people together to do it. Uh, and we're going to film the camera drone one at the same time. So that was another new test actually for this year was the camera drone test. So it's the first time we've allowed a test mm. with GPS on board. So is that not just a basic proficiency test, but a... Uh an actual a cert yeah so if you take the a cert and the b cert multi-rotor you have to do those in manual uh if you do the a cert with self-stabilization on board so atty horizon angle any of those modes uh it would be a bpc when you look at the modern camera drones quite a few of them don't even allow you to switch the gps off if you take the mavics mm. for example it's it's permanently mm. on so what we what i've tried to do there with the test that i've written is make it more about putting the aircraft into awkward angles so that the pilot has to sort of react left and right, but at 90 degrees off. So there's an element of pilot skill that we can measure and judge while the aircraft's still using an element of electronic stabilization. So there's no B certificate, unfortunately, for the camera drones, uh, simply mm. because there's not enough of a challenge to create there. But yeah. the A cert can be done with GPS and the BPC certificate can be done uh, in ATI mode. But it is a... Sorry, gone. For, for people that kind of don't know, kind of the the A certs and the B certs and the sort of the achievement scheme of the BMFA, that's kind of a, a BMFA internal thing to kind of recognize levels of proficiency, right? And typically... It's a personal achievement scheme. Yeah. It's, so it, another myth that we get is that the A cert is uh, required. It's a license to fly unsupervised. You have to have it for the insurance of the BMFA. You have to have mm-hmm. it to fly at a club. It's not. They're purely personal achievements. Um, a lot of the clubs will ask you to have an A cert to fly unsupervised um, because it's their way of their own sort of chairman, as it were, and secretary of the club making their own rules to protect mm-hmm. their own safety. But it's not a BMFA requirement. They're just purely personal goals. Yeah. Some people assume that the B cert is a license to fly at a model air show and stuff like that. You don't even need an A set to fly a model show if you're well enough known. The B set is just another yeah. way that people use to measure your ability. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of 
from from personal experience, what what ends up happening is when it's a small group of people that you personally know, it's fine because you know what people are going to be like and you know who you can trust yeah. to to fly somewhere and you know who who's who's a good enough pilot and who isn't just going to wig out and yeah. do something stupid in front of a crowd or just you know in a place where you're pretty keen on not mm, pissing off your neighbours, but when you start getting more people and you, that you don't personally know, you have two options. You either tell them to go away or you have a way of kind of having a, a standards that you can get people to meet without you personally knowing them. And that's kind yeah. of what, what the ACER and BESA have been used for by clubs and by event organizers. The ACER definitely gets used a lot for that level of, can I turn my back on this person and no, I'm not going to get hit in the head. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. there's this question come up there from Numskull FPV saying, can we do the course with an FPV drone? And I think what he means by that is, can we fly FPV? Because these are rather than nice. Uh, uh, for which test, sorry? Um, for the multi-rotor A and B, I, I presume. Right, so... For the multi-rotor A and B, they are predominantly designed for what I would class as a manual flight aircraft. So something like that. That's a seven-inch. You know, it, this could easily be set up for long-range FPV. I do this for line-of-sight aerobatics. But the A and the B certificate are designed for line-of-sight manual flight. So as long mm -hmm. as, you know, you could use a racing drone. I think I did mine with um, a Gravity 280, if you know those. Yeah, yeah. Little six-inch racer uh, in manual flight. The camera drone is definitely designed for those things like Phantoms, Mavics, Inspires, anything that's stabilizing. In terms but, but of being, sorry, go on. FPV versus LOS. Are you expecting the operator to not have goggles on when they're doing those tests, or yeah? So the A and the B set, the A and the B set, a line of sight. So you have to be able to watch the drone. What we have got is an Acer extension for general FPV, which is where we just fly around, you know, do some mm -hmm. procedural turns, fly around the site and come back. And we've also got an Acer extension for FPV racing. And the mm. Acer extension for that is going around gates, you know, through flags and stuff like that, uh, racing starts and so on. Um, in fact, that's the only test that we've got where we actually allow a crash. Uh, <laughs> Right. Normally, if you crash in a test, it would be considered a very much instant fail. Um, for the FPV extension, we understand that hitting gates is something that happens a lot. So in the in the FPV extension, it's if you hit a gate, we actually want you to shut the throttle and drop, mm. not try and punch the throttle and end up a hundred feet in the air going into a you know into a non-controlled area. Is that like a required test maneuver? Just so, crash and disarm? Well, no, it's, uh, the idea is that it, it, in the rules it says if you do hit a gate and crash, you know that's what we want to see you do, and you can reset. Um, two crashes, you're clearly not ready. You know. Mm. So if, if our, someone's doing the bulk of their flying FPV, why are they being examined line of sight if they don't intend to be flying that drone line of sight? It's a valid point, actually. Um, I'll raise it in our next achievement scheme meeting. So we, we always try, there you go, arms up. <laughs> We're always open, always, always open to constructive ideas, you know, and right. uh, that's a very, very valid idea. Um, Jack's about so, to set set some fireworks off. He's that excited. <laughs> well, made, There's a lot well, of pilots Jack who, who fly self-built <laughs> drones and, you know, they, they have the goggles on from the moment they take off to the moment they end up in a tree, right, or land. Um, and, and, and they wouldn't intend to be flying at line of sight because they might be flying within visual line of sight, but to get orientation on, a, on maybe a, a small quad 
at, yeah. let's say, 100 feet away from yourself, it's easy, yeah. much easier with goggles on to, to pilot that than line of sight. No, I, agree. I think there's always there's always an argument that you should be able to take your goggles off and bring it down if you've got a problem. But, of course, most people in that situation, because a there's a delay crash, though, going like it? that, what you're is about. you'd flick into angle to exactly some time, are. especially me, because I'm like, where do I put my glasses? There they mm-hmm. are. Where's my cord? Exactly. There it is. And bring it I down have that a, way. A freeway switch on my controllers, which has always got red um, heat shrink on it to, uh, to identify it. And it's a freeway switch. Middle is full acro. Flick either direction and it goes into, you know, into horizon or angles right. so that it, it levels off. It gives me a chance to get my eyes on it yes, and orientate okay. it. Um, but no, in terms of the achievement scheme, it's like I say, I was brought in as a volunteer several years ago for my experience of multi rotors to write a test. And that's why we did the A and the B certificate. Mm-hmm. Um, since they were brought out, we've actually tweaked them slightly because the original one, because it was pretty much a copy of the heli, I've also uh, tweaked the helicopter one. Because originally you used to do certain exercises hovering, then you do a circuit exercise, hover, circuit exercise, hover, land. And mm-hmm. what we've decided is if you can't take off and land repeatedly by B set, you shouldn't even be flying. So we've put all the hovering stuff together, land, all the circuit stuff together, land. Because what that allowed is for people who fly things like the 3D electric helicopters that might only get a four minute flight time, it means they've got a natural landing point in the middle of the test to swap batteries. And it's the same thing for a lot of the racing quads that might only fly mm-hmm. for three and a half to four minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got that. Four minutes, you're doing well on some of those quads. Yeah. Well, it's it's about setting your aircraft up for the test. It's the same with any aircraft. Right. You know, something like the one I showed a minute ago, my line of sight one there, that will fly for an easy 20 minutes if I don't, but it will fly for four minutes if I'm flying like a hula. Do you, do you have anyone come to do those certs with, say, a tiny whoop or something that's just somewhat ludicrous? Um, we've Some of the tests are... So there's an answer for that one from one kilo. Andy Simmons there. He's, yeah, oh, so Andy Simmons has said if it's yeah. under 300 grams, it's classed as the basic proficiency test. Yeah. So you literally the, um, can't do an A test unless you've got a 300 gram drone. That's what you're saying. Yeah, the, the reason you just add lead to it. The reason I wrote that that requirement for 300 grams, very few of the tests, you take the helicopter test, there's no weight requirement. The glider test is no weight requirement. Fixed wing is a minimum of a kilo and it has to be able to roll on the floor, so it has to have undercarriage. Mm-hmm. With the camera drone test, uh, multi-rotor test, there's no weight limit either. Mm-hmm. The camera drones, we're fully aware there's going to be a lot of people with mini twos that want to take that test. So to make it easier for the examiners, we've put a 300 gram limit so that if anyone stands up with a Mini 2 that clearly states on it 249 grams, uh, because you cannot switch the GPS off to do the A certificate, we don't want people sneaking through by mistake. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why there's a 300 okay. gram limit on that one. So in terms of doing the regular multi-rotor test or the helicopter test, the circuit length is a minimum of 50 meters and about 30 meters wide. So you're talking a good... Mm-hmm much bigger than a tennis court. So when you think about something that's probably only two inches wide, yeah, um, <laughs> flying that to 30 metres distance away from yourself and then going a further 30 metres out laterally. In you're full acro. Could be yeah, entertaining. It'd be very entertaining. The other thing as well is that the tests oh, have to be smart. flown outdoors. Uh, and in terms of the wind, um, we have got an indoor test, by the way, for aeroplanes, you know, the shockies and stuff like that. But in terms of the test, it has to be flown outdoors. So, again, it's kind of self-limiting. So if you take something like uh, the little nano helicopters you can get that are four inches long and 30 grams, 
theoretically you could use that for your helicopter test but you're just not going to be able to see it and it's not going to fly in the wind i learned on the little hubson h107s which were complete rubbish and they didn't have a camera and i used to fly those things around the park i only lost one of them but yeah i used to fly 30 meters out definitely yeah orbit myself (laughs) but it's it's semi-self-limiting in that respect but coming back to jack's you know the point there that made jack happy um i'm chairman like i say the achievement scheme committee so it's a very valid point that a lot of people do go. And I saw a lot of the guys at the BDRA race event that can't hover line of sight because they've mm. purely done FPV. They've always mm-hmm. flown with the goggles on. So uh, it might be worth working out if we can create some form of ACER or even a BSER yeah. for them. A couple of questions I have. One is for the racing ACER, the FPV racing ACER or whatever it was. The extension, yeah. The extension, that was the one. Yeah. Uh, do they have to do the fail safe and all that check-in bit. Cause that's, that's like key for a racer as, yeah. as a, having organized quite a few events with FPV racing at it. If you can make sure that they all can do the check-in process in under 30 seconds, that would be amazing. <laughs> well, we don't Shut time anything, so, uh, <laughs> that you're on this channel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, uh, the one thing we've done with the FPV extension for racing extent. So we've got an FPV extension, which is you could do with a multi-rotor, a fixed wing or anything, which is kind of just, flying around the sky, essentially. The racing one involves gates and everything else. It does state on there about sort of a smooth, steady speed. So what we haven't done is put time limits on anything. Mm. We don't want to encourage actual racing during the test. It's more about competency. But coming back to your question, range check has to be explained to the examiner by the candidate. That's written in the rules. Um, The examiner does have the right to ask them to demonstrate how the range check is done. And fail-safe is compulsory to be tested on all tests now. Uh, that mm. was in place about three months ago. So if somebody does their fail safe and the fail safe doesn't work, what we actually do is we abort the test and it doesn't count as one of their two attempts on the day. Mm. So the, mm-hmm. the fail safe is a requirement now as part of all the tests. Cool. Um, there was uh, another question I had, but I've forgotten what it was now. So I'll let someone else jump in. No, no. I was just going to say, in terms of doing something like an FPV only test for the A, you know, direct to FPV it would be great to get some ideas from you guys on what sort of manoeuvres and exercises we can put in. Because one of the things that I was conscious of writing the FPV racing extension for the A is not everybody has access to gates or poles or flags. So it's trying to write something where it's like, okay. Well, so natural obstacles like trees or signposts. Yeah, exactly. Or, or go around three flags yeah, or yeah. weave in and out Go between trees. those trees, avoid yeah. scraggle, and get them to land in a space. The <laughs> yeah. number of people land. I fly with that can't yeah. land and they just the, go along and disarm randomly. Is so the BDRA, like, we had uh, Eric Liku from the BDRA had a good level of feedback into the mm-hmm. original FPV racing extension along with his committee. Um, and one of the things to that is they have to land in a two-metre designated box. Um, and again, we do allow for the quad to tip over after landing because you know what it's like. Sometimes you land and the board fights. You've got the a bottom-mounted battery. I mean, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. much choice. Exactly. So, you know, if it's dropped, we've also allowed, for for example, the drone to be dropped the last six inches. You know, that wouldn't be a fail. But mm-hmm. landing in a two-metre box, if they land in the two-metre box and it cartwheels four metres out of the box, then that would be a fail. But you probably don't want to be doing this test on a 60-degree camera angle, then. You want to be, be a little more, more conservative. <laughs> Where's Blue Owl? Where's Blue Owl? Um, yeah. I mean, my, my other question, which I've now remembered, was... Yeah. Because m- many of the BDF members, as you were saying, are likely to just be kind of uh, country members, as it's called in the BMFA, so not affiliated with a club, just yeah. uh, likely flying out on their own. How 
are they going to kind of make use of the achievement scheme? What's what's the best right. way for them to do that? So examiners themselves are assigned to clubs. So they're, they're called club examiners because the club asks for someone to be tested as an examiner and then they ratify them every 12 months as part of their uh, annual renewal process for the club uh, affiliation. What we do for country members is you can still basically ask. So all club examiners could do a country test for them. So you could go to their club and do the test. The best way to do it, though, is to contact the BMFA um, and then we can put you in touch with the local achievement scheme coordinator for your area. So, for example, in my area, the northwest area, we've got Kevin Watson. He would then ask a local club if they can help or we've got a network of area chief examiners, which I'm one of. I'm a fixed wing heli and multi-rotor area chief. And we're quite happy to meet people at clubs or in the case of a country member, probably down the local woods, as long as it's not a dogging hotspot. (laughs) I'm not not being, as soon as I started saying that, I was sitting there thinking in the back of my mind, I'm not being lured into the woods for something dodgy. (laughs) Welcome to Let's Throw Now. Yeah. Yeah. But no, we've got a network there for the, for the country members as well. Uh, And also I should get mentioned, Andy's probably screaming, screaming this at the keyboard. We have the BMFA National Centre in uh, Grantham where you can go along with Buckminster, where you can go along and we have achievement scheme events once a month. So our next one's coming up on the 27th and 28th for this month. And we, we go up there, we have three or four chief examiners minimum normally on there and we can do any of the achievement scheme tests. Um, if it's a CSET or an examiner test, we just need it booked in in advance because that has to go back through the area. But essentially we're there to help facilitate. So uh, we did a couple of camera drone tests uh, uh, last month at the August one. So if people aren't members of a club, then they can go up to Grantham and... They, they can come up to the BMFA Buckminster site or they can get in touch with their local area you know, area coordinator and assess something in that way. So there's more than one option, basically. And so would they find Jack would need to take his oxygen cylinder to, to go that far north of London. Does he get a nosebleed past the M4? Is it that yeah. kind of, yeah. Yeah. I don't even like going on the M4. It's too close to <laughs> Wales. <laughs> he goes up to like kind of curry sauce with chips level and he's just really distressed. He gets to like gravy with chips. He just doesn't know what the f*** is going on. He's lost <laughs> it. Yeah, just starts sweating, rolling on the floor, crying. I'm going to say this Commanding just to because I know he's watching, but don't go to Yorkshire where they call a bread roll a tea cake. What? That'll throw you a loop. <laughs> but you go further north and then you've got a Tunnock's tea cake, the old Scottish. Yeah. What? Tea cake? So all this stuff, all the qualifications, they seem to be around uh, a lot of people trying to harmonise a lot of this drone stuff internationally. So we don't have weird little esoteric British laws and weird little esoteric French laws. Um, what, what do you think is going to happen in, in the future? We've, we've got a lot of drone stuff that see, they, people seem to be standardising on labelling, but there's still room for self-built stuff. Do you think there's going to be um, a rush to try and put us into a new category in the future? The, the category is already there. So, um, you know, coming back to my myth-busting theme for the evening... There's a lot of people that are saying that we won't be able to fly anything that we've got after 2022. So the 1st of January 2023 is mm-hmm. when the legacy drones are no longer flyable and you have to have one of the C-class drones. All it means is that every drone that we've got now goes into the A3 open category. So you right. basically go back to the original hobby regulations that we had before all of this ever started. So Perfect. as Andy loves to say, when all the new regulations came in on the 1st of January this year, 
nothing's changed, nothing's going to change. Um, but you'll still have access to Article 16 because that's one of the things that we've done as the BMFA. When I say we, I would tend to mean Dave Phipps, our, our champion, as it were, when he goes out to the DFT. The stuff that they've done, the Article 16, there's no legacy requirement on that either. So when you look at a racing drone that is self-built, it's not got a C-class rating on it, it's going to go to the A3 open category or it's going to go to, you can fly it in Article 16. So come okay. the 1st of January 2023 and answering your question, you know, what do we do in the future? You really, what we're pushing or what the CAA and the DFT and us, we're pushing is everyone to be a member of some form of organisation. The BMFA have always had the policy, you know, the policy strength in numbers. We've got over mm -hmm. 30,000 members. So when the CAA first did the operator ID and it was going to be £16.50 and it was going to be all these different regulations and so on, you know, when Dave Phipps went into the meetings and he went in there with the RPAS lot and everyone else, he doesn't just stand there as Dave Phipps. He stands there as the voice of 30,000 plus people from 800 plus affiliated clubs. So when he stamps his foot, it's a loud stamp. And that's why we're opening up the British drone flyers. When you look at the statistics, there's 30,000 plus members, as I say, but there's over 200,000 registered operators in the UK. And that's just the people who bother to operate, you know, register, let alone those that probably don't even realize that they need to. So there's 100, you know, nearly 200,000 plus extra people that we can bring in to make that voice even stronger. So I think there's some people who are accusing us of just trying to cash in on the latest thing. And it's not about that. Mm -hmm. It's trying to create strength in numbers to protect the hobby, to protect what we do as a passion. So if you had a kind of pragmatic approach going forward, you know that people are going to want to increasingly legislate. And we've seen people trying to put uh, remote ID solutions on drones in America. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the kind of pragmatic position that you would take going forward? Are you going to just draw a line in the sand and say this is it or are you prepared to make amendments in future i think you always have to sort of be prepared to make some amendments because you just don't know what's going to come two years around the corner um if you take for example things like amazon and google that have all been talking about delivery drones and and what have you some people will say it's a pipe dream some people will say yeah it's going to come in six months you know i'm more realistic i think it's still a bit of a dream but it's on its way potentially so I think if it happens, that's when you have to sort of think about how to do it safely and how to integrate it safely. So I think you have to sit there and think, yeah, the rules might have to change, but how? We just sort of have to see how it develops, I suppose. Okay, so you're going to wait to see if the situation changes. <laughs> you don't have your own agenda that you're looking to push forward at this point. No, I mean, the, the beautiful thing with being part of the BMFA is, I mean, I obviously have my own personal opinions. I've got things that i have to think about when i say you i mean the bmfa not not yeah. <laughs> so BMFA I, i'm more than happy to share personal opinions but personal opinions obviously don't necessarily reflect on on the bmfa side of things because when we when we do anything with the bmfa it's not about individuals it's about that mass of thirty thousand people mm -hmm. uh, and also the the hundreds of thousands of people that aren't registered that we can offer support to um there's a lot of rules that because i've got an operator BFCO. So I've got a PFCO, an operational safety case. Um, I've then got uh, two flyer IDs, two operator IDs, one for the company, one for me. I've then got a PFCO number. So I've got nine different serial numbers. Then every drone has to have its own serial number. So you sit there and you look at this and it's got four different serial numbers on it just to <laughs> fit with the regulations. And you think, that's gone silly now. <laughs> yeah, you can do that when you've got a giant hex. You maybe try and one. <laughs> yeah. you want to fly a little free <laughs> around somewhere. It gets more challenging. Get yeah. a number on each arm, but if you have a fifth number, 
Yeah. So personally, I think some of the regulations, because, you know, there's a little bit of com complexity created by that hobby to commercial aspect. But in terms of the operator ID, I think it's a good idea. You know, there's a lot of people out there now with these drones that are fully autonomous. You press a button, it hovers. Uh, there's no guarantee that they won't set it up wrong, forget to do a compass calibration before flying the Mini, and it joins the revolution against mankind and spanks off in the spanks off towards the horizon as part of Skynet. Back to China. It's, it's not just about blaming people for accidents. It's that, okay, so there's the drone. It's gone somewhere. We can track it back to who owned it, give it back to them and find out what happened. And then once we know what happened, we can educate the rest of the people to stop them doing the same. You know, it's that the CIA do adopt that education over blame approach to a lot of things. Yeah. Um, the CIA don't actually do any prosecutions themselves. They'll only ever really advise the Crown Prosecution Service who would do the uh, prosecution, you know. Mm. Oh, that so, is scary. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, yeah, I mean, regulations aside, you know, I think things could potentially change. Uh, what we need to do is is just stay ahead of them and, and try and make sure that we're always doing the best for our membership at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, you know, there's with strength in numbers, and I have heard it said, uh, you know, from from the meetings where there's there's lots of stakeholders getting in, you know, from you know, manned aviation, all sorts, and sort of the the actual literal numbers of people that the BMFA are representing makes them actually quite a big kind of feature in those meetings because it's yeah. there's a lot of people that fly model aircraft compared well, to we're, we're probably bigger than you know i don't know the two statistics so i might be talking them out of my back end but we're probably bigger than a lot of the organizations put together yeah yeah sort of you know when you when you yeah. look at sort of the microlight association or the light aircraft association that the numbers aren't really that big and the bmfa yeah. is actually quite a big organization and has quite a yeah. lot of weight to throw around in these and kinds of also things the age you know we're, we're 100 years old next year um, and one thing that does help an awful lot is that the BMFA back in the 90s got uh, model flying recognized as a sport. So when you look at America, for example, it's actually just a hobby over there. So it's very hard to enforce anything when it comes to a hobby. Whereas it's when it's a sport in the UK, there's a certain element of responsibility to councils, not a really, um, expected uh, responsibility, but a suggested responsibility to provide facilities for sporting, you know, uh endeavors so when it comes to model flying you know you've got to kind of support it in a way because it is a sport not just a hobby i think the most important aspect of that takeaway is we can now call ourselves athletes <laughs> <laughs> so for me a personal opinion if you can smoke like and, and drink a pint while you're doing it you're not an athlete but <laughs> yeah, you know darts back in the day I think the thing with sport is the definition is you can compete, you've got a competition, and that's what we do at the BMFA. We create the nationals, we create all the different eventing you know, competitions that people can come and compete in, whether that's directly ourselves or through the various different governing bodies of different disciplines. Cool. Is there anything else that we've missed uh, as kind of like unique selling points of BDF or upcoming events? Um, in terms of selling points, I think the selling points, uh, we did mention earlier about insurance, but just to clarify on that, if you are looking to fly commercially, BMFA insurance is only covering you for hobby flying. You need insurance that complies with EC 785 2004 if you want to fly commercially. Um, so, yeah, that's there. Plenty of insurance companies out there that do pay per day and annual policies, but the BMFA is a hobby policy. 
So I think the main benefit of joining the BMFA or the British Drone Flyers is you're not just getting insurance. So there's a lot of companies out there that might just offer an insurance package. We're here to offer support. So yes, a lot of people probably join to get that insurance, you know, the public liability insurance, but we offer the personal indemnity insurance. When you affiliate as a club, um, they get landlords indemnity insurance and other policies that cover stuff that happens. So if you set up a model flying club, for example, and somebody like a neighbor or a drone, decides, club. Or a drone club. Yeah. Well, model flying is drones to me at the same time. So if somebody sets up a flying club, a drone club, and somebody decides to try and sue the land, you know, the landlord of the club for allowing the, the activity on their site, that's part of the BMFA support that we will do. Uh, in terms of setting up a club, again, compared to somebody that's just selling insurance, we've got on our website, and this is the nice thing, is all of our information is on the website, easy to access for free. You know, we're not trying to make money out of people. We're not a profit-making business. We're a, a charity, essentially. So things like um, there's a, what's it called, club constitutions. So if you're setting up a club, you sort of said earlier, some clubs could just be five mates that all know each other and they get on well. The next club could be 150, 200 people holding regular racing events. But whichever club you're in, what if one person decides to be an absolute pain in the neck and cause problems? You know, how do you get rid of them? How do you kick them out? And a good constitution is important to protect every member of a club. There's also uh, tenancy and landlord agreement templates that you can download so that if you're looking to rent land off a farmer to set up a club, you know, that's all available. Uh, and then, like I say, the additional insurance that goes on top. But probably the biggest benefit of joining the BMFA or the BDF is access to the Article 16. So when the Article 16 first came out, it was over four different groups. Uh, they're now split, and it's separate individual Article 16s, depending on which group you're in. Mm -hmm. So, for example, with the BDRA, when they were racing, uh, because they were racing under Article 16, they had to be BMFA members. Um, so we had a few that turned mm -hmm. up that were FPV UK members, so we just gave them free insurance for the weekend so they could still race. That was another way that you know we helped support the BDRA event there. Um, I did not know that the Article 16 had been so, split up from the different yeah, associations. Right, so it, it was um, four associations originally. The Southern Air, Southern, sorry, not Southern, Scottish Aircraft Association had lost theirs Very now. Different. Oh. So they, they didn't fill out their paperwork or something. I'm not entirely sure oh. what's happened. So a lot of the Scottish um, <sighs> Aircraft Association, they're joining the BMFA because that they means, want access to Article 16. Means more Sorry. paperwork to read to be up on everything. I've I've well, definitely given up on keeping yeah. up on everything. A, a quick kind of comparison: if we have FPV UK members, I'm, I'm an FPV UK member myself. Um, yeah, we might be looking at BMFA. What's the quick comparison on those two? Um, well, the main one is obviously. I mean, you've both got our Article 16s. If you wanted to race in the BDRA events, they have to be BMFA members now because of the right. Article 16 split. So that's one probably crossover element that you're going to have to be through there. Um, but then it's that information side and the support side of things. You know, we, we've got people in an office where you can pick up a phone if you've got a technical question about legality. Um, if you get into trouble, for argument's sake, if somebody starts having, uh, if you're flying in a model club and the local council, for example, try and shut your model club down, you can come to us and we'll actually then come and not only just give you support on the phone, but potentially attend meetings with you and the council and see what we can mm -hmm. do to help. Um, Andy has just done that recently for a model club that lost their site on a local park uh, because their park decided to put in bylaws on flying. The club were like, oh, we've been here for years, you know, 30, 40 years. What, what's gone wrong suddenly? 
So Andy went down, helped them negotiate risk assessments and everything else so that they've now got access to use the site again. Mm. So that's the sort of thing that we can offer mm-hmm. that goes beyond, you know, companies that just take money for insurance, essentially. Um, got it. Yeah. So uh, plus things like the BDF News, uh, are, you've got access to all the achievement schemes. More tests. of a complete package then. Yeah, so it's just sort of a bit of everything, you know, rather um, than just insurance, essentially. Yeah. Andy's always uh, keen to point out that you to get to make a BMFA club, you you don't oh, need much. Club up. You you all you need is five BMFA members, yeah. and you don't need a site. You don't need anything else. Yeah. You can you can just start with five BMFA members and go from there. And BMFA offer help sorting out sites and yeah. sorting out constitutions and everything uh, else from there. Yeah, they decided to make club affiliation the most complicated thing in the world. You just need five members and you fill out mm-hmm. two online forms. That's it. And then Why you're not one form? Yeah, club. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, you know, we can offer advice on, you know, uh, how to negotiate with tenants and stuff like that. So if you're trying to, if you've right. found a farmer, for example, that thinks, well, okay, I might be interested, you know, here's the cost. But what's the risk to me? If you don't feel confident to have that conversation with people, that's where we're willing to help. You know, whether it's a phone call, a Zoom call, mm. or even coming out to site face to face to meet the farmer and say, look, you know, let's arrange a day where we bring a few drones down. We'll sort of do a demo. You can see what to expect, what the noise will be like. And here's the inherent value of high velocity bird scarers. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and bird shredders unless, if you get close enough. Unless you've got a buzzard fan, then then not so much. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the key benefit is, that, like I said, the support and the access to everything that's available, really. Yeah. Cool. Great. And what is the Thank price you. of joining the BFMA? I never know uh, this answer. The BMFA is uh, £38 for 12 months. Uh, the BDF is the same, 12, £38 for 12 months. Uh, the BMFA option, because it runs out in December every year, as you go through the year, you start to get discounts towards the end. So 1st of July, you get a discount, 1st of September, and a bit more of a discount, so on. Um, so that way you're not sort of overpaying, but the BDF will always be the same price essentially, you know, unless we have to adjust the price for next year because whatever happens, um, inflation and so on. But the BDF, it's a 12 months from the day you join. So you'd always get the full price as it were. There are, uh, family memberships as well. So if you're a junior member, for example, there's discounted rates available through the BMFA, uh, family memberships. So if you're a junior under 18 at the time of joining, there's a discount. I think it's 17 pounds off the top of my head. If you're a family, so if you want to bring your kids along, you know, the senior member signs up at £38, and I think it's £11 a junior. Um, and then there are scout memberships as well for associated groups. So groups of Cub Scouts can join the BMFA where someone like the scout leader joins up as the senior or cadets, you know, stuff like that. And then they can have, say, half a dozen assigned uh, juniors, but those juniors can change because they'll be bringing in new groups of, you know, students, etc., all the time. So there's various different packages through the BMFA. Uh, the BDF, we've kept it fairly simple because we, we just basically accept that most people at the moment are just going to be one membership type. They're either going to be a senior or a junior. Um, you know, we might get a few family ones join, at which point we'll have to sort of work it out. So there is an element of, uh, you know, cut the thumb, stick it in the air and see which way the wind goes. Suck it and see. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know... We're here to learn from what the members want. So it's like, like we pointed out earlier, with the uh, the ability to 
think, well, actually, we need a different type of achievement scheme test. If people come to Yeah, I think that the FDV suggestion seemed to get a lot of interest in the chat. And it was really great to hear you say that, you know, that's something you'd look at. I think there's there's so many people who only fly FPV. That would be a very popular thing to look at. No, it's it's a very valid point. I mean, we did the FPV extension, but it's a very valid point that a lot of people wouldn't get to an extension. They need to go straight to it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Should we answer Tony's question? If I earn money uh, flying, am I insured already as I'm with the BMFA? Uh, If you earn money flying, then you're flying commercially, so not through the BMFA. I think you'd probably say it's just cash in hand and it doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The thing to remember with commercial flying, it's not just about money changing hands. It could be... Um, you know, something of worth if you're given a, yeah. a camera, you know, if somebody gives you a GoPro mm-hmm. in exchange, it's commercial gain, not cash gain. So mm. it's anything that creates a benefit to yourself, really. Um, Got to play the yeah. devil's advocate and think of what the tax man would say. Yeah. My advice is if you're ever sitting there thinking, do I need commercial insurance or hobby insurance? Then the answer is you need commercial insurance because if you can't sit there and go, I'm just flying for fun, it's a hobby flight, then you're not doing a hobby flight. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of people think, is there a gray area in the middle? No. <laughs> what, what happens if you do a flight and you put it on YouTube and you get advertising revenue from that, but you didn't intend to? So that's, if you flew, if your purpose of the flight was a hobby flight, then that's different. So putting, when you think about uh, commercial gain, so a classic example might be for myself, let's say I put up my mini two, I take photographs of my own house to then sell my house, to give to the estate agent to sell my house, yeah? Mm-hmm. I've not done it to make any money for myself. I've done it to sell my house as part of a sale of my house. I already own the house. I already have that money. There's no profit to be made. On the flip side, if I'm the estate agent that's taking photographs of people's houses, I'm doing it to help sell those houses to make myself money for a transaction. So me doing it for myself is a hobby flight. The, the estate agent doing it for his co- for his company is a commercial flight. Cool. Should we uh, the flight, isn't it? Yeah. It's Should we leave it there, guys? Okay. I think I think that's that's the time to wrap up. We're... Okay. Yep. Oh, You've been listening to Let's Drone Out. Uh, thank you. Uh, don't forget. Thank all our patrons, uh, all our supporters, everyone who tuned in. Thank you, guys. You've been joined by. Our Lord and Master, Andrew Stash Frank. Bye. Everyone's favourite, Kerry Kitten. Goodbye. Shiny Video Stuff, Stephen. Cheers. Disco Chris from the BMFA, Drone Support Officer. Yes, sir. And I've been Jack, Bright Until I Fly. You've been listening to Let's Drone Out. Thank you very much. Telemetry lost.